Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing and following. It's Justin Hahnemann, the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. Today, we're talking meal delivery kits. I can't even wait. You're going to love the story. Ushma Garg is on some of you probably know her. I mean, she's been out in the media. She's has an incredible story um, in the entrepreneurship space. Ushma, it's so great to have you on the podcast. I'm super excited to be here, Justin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I can't even wait to dive into uh, your background and story. And you've got a really cool story. And you, I mean, and, and about your brand and whatnot. Founder and CEO of Gobble. Um, and I, we're going to unpack this whole space today. Um, Ushma is going to share with us not only perspective on her business, but also the this industry and what's happening around it in the food space. Um, but before we get there, Ushma, how about share a little bit about your background before launching Gobble? Sure. I uh, was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. Um, and uh, after that, I transplanted over into um, San Francisco and the Bay Area, California, um, you know, where I caught the startup bug. And I ended up interning at some startups while in college. Um, also, I uh, had short stints on Wall Street at J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley, um, but then ultimately ended up um, starting my first company out of my dorm room as a junior at Stanford. Wow. Biomechanical engineering. I'm an industrial engineer, and here you are in the food business. Did you think you were going to do biomechanical, or was that just something you were in, at Stanford? Yes, uh, exactly. I ended up majoring in biomechanical engineering, and um, I think, uh, like many students, I sort of just found my way to that. I was uh, very attracted to the sciences, um, but uh, you know also have a systems-oriented mindset, and I guess I've always been a builder. And so combining that love for science with, um, you know, with the sort of like entrepreneurial mindset, the engineer uh, piece came into play. And, uh, you know, what it did for me is establish a way of thinking. And that way of thinking is what I've really been able to apply to other jobs and startups and things like that. So you can like build pipelines and think about architecture and systems that sort of um, that that are scalable um, from sort of a young age. Totally agree. That was whenever people ask me, "Well, Justin, are you using your industrial engineering like degree?" I say, I, "I'm learning the thought process and the thinking process around solving problems." And that's always the case, right, with engineering, which I think is one of the be- anyway great background to have. Okay, what was the first company you started in your dorm room? Yeah, uh, the company was called Anapita, and it was uh, it's very you know timely company for a student to start. It was kind of a LinkedIn for students. And I was helping college kids and grad student kids um, find like find the best fit jobs. Wow, that's interesting. And so why did you start that? And what, what was the impetus behind it? Yeah. Um, so at the time, uh, I had had the opportunity to be part of this, one of the biggest groups on campus. It was called Stanford Women in Business. And it ended up getting 400 students who all you know, wanted their first jobs in, you know, banking, consulting firms, Hollywood, whatever. Um, and I ran for president of the group and ended up having that role. And so from that seat, I kind of saw um, some of the gaps in, you know, connecting people and then sure. meeting mentors and really, um, you know, choosing a place, a full-time job with confidence. And so that experience motivated me to sort of build a website to solve the problem. Wow. And it was all very... Um, yeah, 
from like a very natural place and step by step. That's really, really cool. And what a uh, great experience. Now, you decide to make a turn and get into the <laughs> the gourmet dinner kits and meal kits space. You hadn't been in food. Yes. But what was the problem you were looking to solve? And like, how did you decide, you know what, I think this is a place I'm going to start a business? Yeah. Um, well, my first business that I, I worked on for you know, two or three years, it was kind of like my MBA in entrepreneurship just by doing. And I learned, um, you know, what scales, what doesn't scale. Like if I like to work in consumer or enterprise and I learned a valuable lesson, which is um, you want the way you make money to align with what you're passionate about. Got Sometimes, it. It, especially in my recruiting business, companies paid me, but I was passionate about helping the students and there was a misalignment. And that... um that led me to kind of have like a crisis of faith or purpose in my life and in my business. And I was eating really unhealthily um, for, for a while. And uh, that's where the idea of Gobble was born because in a way to kind of save myself and my background is one where my dad growing up used to make dinner for our family every night and really sure. cared about that ritual and the nutrition for our family. Um, I, uh, I kind of went back to my roots and sought out not just the nutrition, but all of the emotional benefits of a home cooked meal to, you know, to kind of save myself at that like young twenties time. And, um, and, and then having had all that entrepreneurial experience, I realized that other people have this problem too, and they're sure. eating too much takeout. They don't have time to cook. So instead of solving it for myself, I used that systems mindset and I solved it as a business. Got it. I love it. So Gobble prepares farm fresh 10 minute gourmet dinner kits with three step instructions delivered to your door. Weekly dinner service offers business professionals the convenience associated with takeout along with the health and satisfaction of a fresh homemade meal. Cool idea. Were there others? And then you started this, by the way, just for those that don't know Gobble or you're new to hearing about Gobble, it's close to 13 years ago. So at the time, were there other companies doing this or was this a whole new idea? What did it look like when you started? At the time, it was a whole new idea. Um, there were no other, there were no meal kits. There, there was no kind of homemade food delivery. Um, in California, at least, there, there was this legislation about cottage food laws, which was about like being able to sell certain food goods that you that you made at home instead sure. of having to have a commercial kitchen to have a food business. So that was neat because I, I paid attention to innovating space where the law is changing, where society is changing. Um, what was hot at the time was peer-to-peer -peer marketplaces, um, kind of like Etsy or Airbnb and sure. those kinds of businesses were starting. Got it. And so you decide you're going to launch in the space and you're, you're doing it because of out of a personal need. Did you know there was a market for it yet? Or did you have to do some homework on it? Or what did you do to, to know there was actually something there? Yeah. The thing is, I started it in kind of a like zero cost way. And that allowed me to um, not have to like think of it as such a big deal and do all this market research before you start a business. Um, I posted an ad on Craigslist. I found some local chefs and I had friends in the area and I emailed them and they were working at Pinterest at Box and all these companies in Palo Alto when they were just like 20 to 40 people. Um, and I emailed my friends there and I was like, hey, <laughs> do you guys want home-cooked food? I'll give it to you for yes. 10 bucks a plate. I'll personally yes. deliver. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so I kind of like, I had like, you know, on, on paper and pen, a little calendar and um, 
of like different local moms and dads that were making food. And I'd go pick up from their house in my car and then take it to my friends. And I'd like pay the chef seven bucks, charge the friends 10 bucks. And within a month I was like paying my rent off of this like side. It's really a a side hustle. And now nowadays side hustles are really popular, but I think that a lot of huge business ideas that minimum viable product or early days should start a little bit as that side hustle so that it's not as daunting and you're you're proving out the point without so much investment absolutely i love that now how long did it take before you realized okay i'm paying the rent um i'm you know i'm doing more than the rent you know what i mean did it quickly scale or like what did that look like early days yeah um it it's it did scale. I mean, you can kind of scale relatively quickly in the early days because you're not making a lot of money. So you're like growing a hundred percent going from 1000 to 2000 to $5,000 profit in the beginning months. Um, but again, it was that past startup experience that led me to see, Oh, wow. You know, there's, there's a lot of supply here with people who want to make money off of with pride off of their cooking. There's a lot of demand like, um, of people who are, who want this kind of food. Um, there's an, you know, a health and nostalgia benefit in all of this. And, um, and again, marketplaces were really hot. So I thought, and I'd already like been a web entrepreneur. So I was like, I'll just turn this into an online business. So I think three months later, we were making our pitch decks for seed funding. Wow. Okay. So you get to that point. Um, and what, what was the funding going to cover like more scale in terms of food production and or preparation or delivery or marketing? What did that look like? Yeah, I think um, the funding was true, uh, kind of like tech, Silicon Valley tech funding, um, in the sense that it was, was going to cover the engineering expenses to build this into a like into a you know an always available marketplace for sales um, versus kind of me taking money on PayPal on my phone. Sure, and uh, <laughs> and then also of That's course right. you know marketing expenses. Right. It makes sense. And so you were in the local market there, again, delivering to your friends and family, basically, and from other friends and family. So over time, like, when did it get so that you were outside of the geography where you could even deliver? You know what I mean? Was there a a point where you're like, I I can't physically handle the orders or the interest? And so therefore, I need help? What did that look like? Um, Well, the first... Uh, the first thing, of course, was me not being a delivery driver. So, right. uh, you know, again, we posted jobs and got hourly folks to come by and similar to how DoorDash has it now. And we scaled our driver delivery force. Um, but, you know, you you already have you anticipated what happens next, which is you can only reach a certain radius. Um, and uh, and so we changed our model actually. In, and instead of going city by city, th- there were a lot of um, scaling issues with this model. First of all, a home chef, they can maybe make 20 meals, but then if they're popular and they get a 200 meal order, they can't even fulfill it. No, right. And then you really have to build from scratch in each city. So even if I have insights that this person is popular in San Francisco, if I open in San Jose, um, I can't really carry that over unless I turn that person into a franchise restaurant. So what, what, one thing that we ended up doing was uh, getting into the into the shipping business. We instead of being on demand food, we took the the tack that people eat every day, multiple sure. times a day. So we should learn your tastes in such a way that we can send you a few nights of meals at once. 
Got it. And all refrigerated or was it um, shelf stable um, in terms of thinking about shipping and whatnot? There's a lot of cost of obviously to ship refrigerated contents. Like what did that look like? Yeah, it had to be overnight or maximum to, um, like 48 hour, two day shipping. And it was all refrigerated. Uh, there were some, you know, like the meats were frozen and so on. So uh, through the temperature testing and now it's 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 more common, you can ship two day um, and be food safe. Got it. Man, amazing. Okay, so um, fast forward a bit. So um, when did it go? Did, how did the funding work out? And then when did it? you really start to see some of the scale and the, I'd say I, there probably was more growth at some point that went you know well beyond where you were in startup phase? Yeah. Um, well, our when we started to see growth and scale actually is when we innovated in the food itself, not just in the tech or the business model, like subscription versus on-demand. Um, or even in the the shipping versus, uh, you know, grocery style delivery, it was when we made dif- like something drastically different in the experience of what it is to cook or eat. And, um, and what it was is this 10 minute cooking kit um, that ended up being Gobble's flagship product. Prior to that, these chefs were just making fully made meals. And though it tasted different, it wasn't a 10x difference from what you might get at a good restaurant or takeout. Um, so what we tapped into was people's psychology, and especially for, for working women, um, that they want to cook and put food on the table, but they don't have the time or even the passed down knowledge. And so what we do, and this is actually very popular in today's era, kind of like how the iPhone made everybody into um like, you know, a, a photographer all of a sudden. Sure. Everybody's just like, a, you know, fantastic photographer. <laughs> totally. iPhone's doing all the work. And so similarly, um, we we do all the work in the background. We make a beautiful sauce. We marinate the meats. We create, you know, um, our own spice mixes, et cetera. And we give you like Ikea style dummy proof instructions. And you assemble this meal in 10 minutes in one pan. And all of a sudden you look like, you know, the best chef <laughs> the there ever was. chef. Got um, it. Wow. So it's kind of um, obvious or maybe clever, but it's we give the buyer the credit for cooking the meal. And then that and that changes the entire um, experience and loyalty to our brand. And I love that Um, when you uh, well, let's let's talk about where you are today. I'll fast forward a bit. So talk about how it works, how the plans work, um, how the ordering process works. Sure. Um, So where we are today is uh, you give us some hints or initial data about your taste preferences. Um, We have invested quite heavily in the recommendation algorithm to make sure that you're getting some repeat food that you've loved in the past, but enough new discovery to keep it interesting, um, kind of like a good marriage, I guess. And, uh, you know, um, we, we recommend you three meals a week by default, but you can get anywhere from two to five nights of food. And we've also expanded into breakfasts and lunch and kind of, um, you know, signature sides like a truffle mac and cheese or garlic bread or so on and so forth. And uh, so it's um, it's a business that is has replaced a lot of grocery spend. It's not just kind of tackling takeout, but sure. now um, looking at that bigger market. Yeah, very reasonable too. I mean, you can choose dinner for two, dinner for four, n- number of nights per week, and then you enter your um, like your location information. Any location off limits, or did you start off in certain locations and then expand over time, or how did that look? 
We, yes. So we, uh, we started in the Bay area, then we, um, kind of reached the whole West coast. Um, and then a few years later we opened an East coast warehouse. And so now we're able to serve pretty much the whole contiguous, you know, United States. There's a few zip codes in the middle, um, where even FedEx and UPS don't reach that we also aren't there yet. Sure. And then, you know, since you started, others have started in the space and some have been acquired for big dollars, right? And, and um, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've watched some of those. How, do, how have you guys differentiated, like either product or service or other? Like, how do you um, how do you position yourselves in the market versus some of the others that have, and some have come and gone, by the way, and you guys have been obviously growing and doing very well. Talk about just your place in the market. Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, I, I think we have a, a very unique place, and that is this sort of like 10-minute cooking place um, of pragmatism. The uh, Most of the other brands are, you know, um, some of them are about like making you a master chef, and they'll teach you how to cut an onion, or you have to knead the dough to make a crostata. And I've spent like an hour and a half doing it myself when it says it's supposed to be 45 minutes, and then it still comes out burnt out of the oven. So it's very, the other cook from scratch brands are high risk. And um, in my opinion, I don't know, like utopian basket. And then where other people have found niche is in specific diets um, or brunches or organic. Um, but I I don't think there's a huge competitive advantage in the differentiations. If you make a, a sticky brand, perhaps you can get that beachhead and di- differentiate just by um, the strength of a brand. But Gobble's differentiation is different in that it's actual food innovation. Um, and so we're not just buying organic onions. We've actually deconstructed the concept of each meal and par-cooked the components to and have a kind of method to what cooking means with Gobble, which is kind of cooking with an expert sous chef. And sure. Recipes that can only be done in 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, some of you probably know uh, in, in following this space, you would know that last year was a big year for Ushma and the Gobble brand. Uh, they were acquired by Intelligent Foods for a very significant amount. Like, how'd that come about? And then uh, how, did you know that was your plan for exit? Sure. And I know you then became the CEO, but what did, what did that path look like? Um, I know we jumped over a number of years. We'll come back to some of your lessons learned in a moment. But talk about just the path to that um, that deal. Yeah. Um I no, I did not know that that is how the story would end. Um, I think, uh, and I, I think it's hard. It's for anyone. It's hard to know. That's like the fun of life that you have a plan and it takes you in a totally different direction. And sometimes you get maybe to some version of your dream, but it's never that linear path that you thought it would be. Um, so as the CEO, of course, it's my job to maintain relationships and entertain kind of funding interest or M and A interest. And so over the last five years, we've had. M&A discussions with different parties, you know, on and off throughout time, which is part of the job. Um, last year, we were speaking with a few parties and um, Intelligent Foods just seemed like a, the right fit. It was a family of food companies. Um, it's private, but with a lot of public potential one day. And um, the, uh, you know, it's based out in Dallas, Texas, which is where I'm from. And so there were this, there was this other kind of shared value system and uh like work ethic and um down to earth style and nature which i really resonated with and that you know that can make the difference at the end of the day so um true to form you know i've uh was preparing for the worst in in some ways or for 
some surprises, but it's been a great relationship so far post acquisition. And I, I, unfortunately, I've only gotten busier and now I'm overseeing <laughs> um, all of the D2C food brands for the parent company, sure. um, which includes another sister brand of ours, which is Sunbasket um, and another you know, great, uh, great name with a lot of like household brand equity um, in the United States. So it's been really exciting, actually, for um, for the Gobble team to expand their purview and learn. And now, um, you know, all their efforts of what they're doing kind of like benefit uh, a much larger multiple of revenue and suite of brands all at once. You've talked a lot. We've talked a lot about Gobble on this um, interview, but talk about what some of the other brands do now that you're managing. Yeah. I mean, the other biggest brand is Sunbasket. Um, it's a health focused brand. Um, so they, there's, it's just a whole different, um, set of specs required for the Sunbasket recipes, um, the organic sourcing of the food. Um, and so it's, we have nutritionists on board and it's, a um, there's a different R and D process that we go through to make sure that there are recipes that applied a very specific diet, some medical, some by choice um, for extra health conscious consumers. So we kind of are, and, but they both overlap in some ways um, with a very, uh, you know, um, desirable market. Sure. We're, we're looking at, you know, women who control the purse strings on the one hand, who are like part of the lean in movement and working and want a practical solution for, with Gobble. And oftentimes there are you know, their friends are the same people who want, um, you know, uh, just more healthy options or diet focused options. And there are people who switch between or use both. Got it. Makes sense. And what an exciting uh, story. And I mean, the story is still being told, you know what I mean? Which is really cool to see how the you're, you've launched brands and a specific brand. And now you get to lead a, a basket of brands, including the one that you got to incubate. It's pretty exciting. Where do you see the um, anything change in the, the industry around meal delivery, meal kits, anything you've seen shift either? I'm sure during COVID, we like you just say, I know we saw a big spike. Um, what have you seen kind of normalized post? Um. Well, actually, I've I've seen some of these businesses get stronger. And so with some of this consolidation in the industry, which is normal for, for example, like retail or clothing brands or other CPG brands too, um, those businesses become more reliable. They have better economies of scale, more distribution points and warehouses. So um, I think that's a really good thing to keep up with the consumer demands for on-demand and perfectionism that exists nowadays and to stay competitive. Sure. Uh, so I like that, you know, the back end has become battle tested with all the supply chain issues of COVID and um, those that have survived have, are more robust now. Um, on the consumer end, I think folks are, they are more conscious. I mean, with, with the new, like with Gen Z and Gen Alpha, they're very kind of like societally minded and climate focused. So I think more more transparency from brands on sourcing and values, even from the companies that people work at, is becoming more expected. Sure. Um, which hopefully will have that societal impact. Um and uh and and people are looking for kind of more of an identity versus buying a brand that is just some like colors with no soul. And so right. but I, I find that kind of thing very intellectually interesting and exciting um and it's you know i personally have the mindset of never being comfortable so it's it's neat to see these new challenges come up and evolve um 
evolve ourselves along the way. Yeah, I love that. And it's a great segue. I always love to ask, ask our guests some of their biggest lessons learned or coaching for other entrepreneurs and founders that are listening. You just talked about one, um, be, keeping almost a healthy discomfort with the status quo or, or being uncomfortable and, and, and eager for the next. Uh, what would be a couple other pieces of advice you'd offer to those that are listening? Uh, one piece I would of advice I'd offer is that if you are if you truly are passionate about something, if you've started it from a place of passion or a personal problem, um, that uh, if you don't give up and if you're open-minded to a non-linear path, you can have a 100% guaranteed chance of success. Um, it's the success is guaranteed from your perseverance and from your ingenuity. And uh, so you know, there are these comic strips that show like someone digging and then they they quit right before that next turn of, um, you know, of prosperity and of success for them. So I'm very grateful that we reached that moment um, for Gobble. But uh, I I just want to encourage the entrepreneurs listening to uh, to remember that they can bend the world to their will and shape shape the world to be what they want it to be. Um, it just takes that uh, that patience, commitment, and creativity. Right, man, amazing. And I mean, just as a reminder for those that are listening, if you didn't pick that up, 12 years, 11 to 12 years. And, and then, <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, it wasn't one year. It wasn't three years. I mean, you got to your exit or your, your acquisition last year. And what, I was about 11 years in, I think, if I did the math correctly, right? Yes, yes, we are calling a deck calling it a decades long overnight success. So that that's how it goes. I love it. That's a line I wanted you to use. <laughs> so great. Oh, it's it's so cool having awesome. you here. Yeah, Ushma, so fun. Um, you got to come back on down the road. I, I know you're you're obviously doing great things. Uh, you're helping a lot of other people as well. And um, before we go, share with our audience where they can find you, connect with you, learn more about your brands. Absolutely. I'm on Twitter uh, at Ushma, O-O-S-H-M-A. Um, and we're also on Twitter at Gobblink and Sunbasket, where we can be followed. Same thing on Instagram. Um, and we're looking forward to uh, to feeding some folks and changing their lives. Love it. Ushma Garg, founder and CEO of Gobble. So great having you with us. Um, look forward to having you back on down the road. Thanks for making the time. Thank you, Justin. The Contender Cast is powered by Contender Brands and is the top global consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast. You can find additional ContenderCast episodes on worldwide podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. <laughs>